0: Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities, both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am delighted to be joined by Carol McCallum, the University Archivist, to talk about her role at GCU and the veritable Aladdin's Cave of Treasures she has in the archive Centre. Carol, this is an interview I've been looking forward to for a very long time, so thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Delighted to join you, Craig. I know that you've seen some of the archives little pockets of them before so it's quite nice
0: just to talk about the whole role and what we do here. Definitely anytime I've had a piece of work at the university that hasn't been involving the Archive Centre it's always like yes that's going to be good fun because the stuff is always very visual and there's always loads to talk about but before we get into that Carol I'm going to start with quite a, a pretty obvious question but what does an archivist actually do? Talk to me about your role at GCU
1: quite a difficult answer um, (laughs) to give. All archivists do different things, but our main basic role is to preserve records, to catalog them and to make them available for people to see. So it's actually that simple. I think people don't necessarily realize that that's the main aim behind the archive center because lots of archivists get involved in so many different things. But our main role here is where records are deemed worthy of keeping for current and future generations, we're the people that keep them safe and make them available.
0: I know a lot of the time we spent working from home at the moment Carol but prior to lockdown what did a normal day look like for you?
1: There is no normal <laughs> day in the Archives Centre and even if you plan a normal day it doesn't work like that but I'll let you know a bit of what the normal service would be. We have a reading room and for anyone to come and see material from the archives and collections they have to book an appointment and they consult it in a reading room and that's all down to ethics. We have to make sure that history isn't changed by a slip of the pen or pencil and I should say at this point there's absolutely no pens allowed in any archive centre (laughs) in the world. Um, So we have this reading room, we encourage people to come and use the material. On the other hand we could be going to speak to a class, a seminar, doing a bit of um, uh, learning and teaching with the academic staff. Then we just have all these inquiries coming in that just come, because we are free of charge and open to everyone. So we're not just a GCU resource. We, we take inquiries from all over the world. So we have email inquiries that we're answering. And then invariably there's an exhibition or something going on that the archives are involved with. And on top of all of that, we're doing our actual background work, you know, the the, the policy and strategy work that we need to keep the archive center running and keep it together.
0: So why is it important that we keep and look after and preserve artefacts and documents from the past?
1: Do you know, we get asked this a lot. And obviously, for the university records, it's easy if if we have to to preserve the historical continuity of the university. And the records are used back and forwards in years later where we have to look something up. So we just need them for the day to day running of the university. And we also need them to understand where the universities come from. And that's the case for all archives and collections. Everyone automatically thinks they're maybe used just for educational purposes, but they give people an identity, and they let us understand cultures. And if I could just maybe mention here the fact that I often think about, because we've had records, we we no longer hold them, but we've had records of people who have been in care. I and mean, when you're in care and you're moved around, you don't have that family album. You can't just go and look at photographs. But through archives, you can maybe reach back to the institutions you were in as a young person and get some memory through archives. So I often use that as an example, you know, that archives can actually help people with their identity and understanding who they are. And we're not at day one now. This is not day one. And if we don't have this connection with the past. Then what do we have? You only have to look at who do you think they are. People yeah. go crazy when they find out their own family history. So, so it's an idea that uh, the idea is that archives actually help us understand our very being.
0: For anyone that's listened to this show, Carol, that isn't perhaps aware about GCU's history and its roots, could you give us a wee potted history about how the university started and how it got to the stage where we're at now?
1: The, the university grew out of uh, the Glasgow Cookery School in eighteen seventy-five. Um, It's a bit of a um, Victorian philanthropy where everybody thought the working classes were drinking too much and not eating properly. And the cookery school was a Victorian thing that happened throughout the whole of the UK. So the Glasgow one opened in 1875 and then in 1878 there was a West End school of cookery which was set down, down the bottom of Socky Hall Street was its actual um, first opening premises. But interestingly, the two, we have a sort of suffragette, not a suffragist, but a suffragette leading one side of it and the temperance moving, lead, the temperance movement leading the other side. So I won't go into all ins and outs, but that's why there was two cookery schools so close to each other in Glasgow. They emerged in in 1908 and became the Glasgow and West of Scotland College of Domestic Science, the much loved Doe School that many Glaswegians today still know. That then became Queen's College in 1975, the year of their centenary, and the Queen had been a patron very early on and she gave the college um, her name as part of the centenary celebrations. Meanwhile, Glasgow College of Technology has opened up in, in 1971. And in 1993, on April Fool's Day, these two institutions merged and became Glasgow Caledonian University.
0: That's remarkable that you know all that information off the top of your head there. (laughs) Don't
1: forget, I did write, co-author the um, history of the institution, so it's it's sort of there all the time.
0: (laughs) At the top of the show, Carol, we mentioned that it's an Aladdin's cave, an Alibaba's treasure trove of stuff that, that you're sitting on there. We'll talk about some specific projects later on, but can you give us an idea of some of the stuff that you've got in there?
1: And you're even going to ask this question, Craig, and the collections are vast. I would like to say straight away that you can't just go to our webpage and find out everything that we've got. Like most archives, the majority of our material is not catalogued. Okay. So From the outset, I want to say to people, if you're in any doubt, just speak to us, because that's the easiest way to find out. It's not a fault that they're not cataloged. It's just the way that funding has gone in, in the past period. I've been here 29 years wow. and cataloging get done less and less by um actual core staff. And you have to go to project staff for cataloging. But our main areas that we cover are the creative arts. And that's quite a new thing that we've got into. The creative arts were always present. In our records especially our, our left-wing records because creative people use um, cartoons and, and, and storytelling poetry to try and get the left-wing message out there but we now have a sort of standalone area that's creative arts in itself. We also have our left-wing politics and trade union um, records and within there's the Scottish Trade Union Congress um, archive. Interesting thing about GCU is that it holds a lot of national collections that haven't gone to the National Library or the National Archives, they've come here to to GCU. So that's something that um, I think we can all feel very proud about. Mm -hmm. We then have Scottish Social Enterprise Collection and that's developed through our connection with the Unis Centre. And it's been fabulous and we're we're in our second year, our second phase funding from the Scottish Government. So they believe believe in us as a centre of excellence for records creating to the history of Scottish Social Enterprise. We have social work, social policy and child welfare and the university and its history. So when I run through that quickly, you can see a huge thread that fits with the sort of learning, teaching and research of DCU as well.
0: One of the other things I know that you've got a lot of in the Archive Centre is material from the anti-apartheid movement in the late 70s and the 80s. You tell me a wee bit about that.
1: Yeah, that was actually the first archive that that we took in, um, Craig. I, I get involved with the archives. I, I initially, I, I collected an institutional archive why we were writing the history of the institution. And then the anti-apartheid archive was taken in by by the library. And they asked, I wasn't working with the library at that time, they asked me to look at it. So it dates actually from the 60s, some of the material, but that's from when we had Edinburgh and Glasgow branches. But then in the 70s, the, the Scottish wing of the anti-apartheid, anti-apartheid movement was set up. I mean, it's a fascinating collection where it's partly catalogued and we're working in that just now. It's been used loads. Um, I mean, the television have always been very interested in the anti-apartheid archive. You know, when Mandela passed away, Brian Filling, who's an um, an honorary graduate of GCU, um, has been Brian and John, who were the chair and secretary of the anti-apartheid women, have worked closely with us. I'd just like to throw something in here to say that we keep a close relationship with donors that give us collections, because as soon as you break that relationship, you lose part of the knowledge. So we really love we love working with the people that give us collections. Not every archive is like that. They just want to take it in and then have their own mm-hmm. say on it, but but we love our relationship building. And that's part of the ethos that we've developed here in the archive center. So the Antipartite archive really shows the Scottish people standing up to injustice, which, you know, and that's what our collections are about. That's what GCU is about, is that whole social justice. And we are here to show the working person actually took part in it you know so a lot of the collections are just the stories of people who wanted to support something people didn't actually know much about South Africa but they knew about injustice and that collection captures it's not purely Scottish people because there was interactions with South Africa and South Africans came over but it's just lovely that we've got this Scottish story where people said enough is enough
0: for instance Carol say I was donated. I was left. Somebody somebody close to me passed away and I was left anti-apartheid material from that period of time and I wanted to give it to yourselves at the Archives Center. What would they do? How how do we go about making a donation to the archives?
1: So we have so we, we we over it's changed over the years and obviously if it's a really big donation there's a much bigger process we go through. Mm-hmm. But say your auntie had been really involved in the anti-apartheid movement and you found our records in our attic when she passed away you would contact us and we would ask you to fill out a small forum where you give us an idea of what it's online where you give us an idea of what you're offering us if it doesn't fit with our collection policy then I would say at that time we're not right but because I've been in the game so long I can usually say to people this is where I think you should offer it to but once we get by that stage where you're wanting to hand it over where you think because I know you think this you think that that would be added to the anti-apartheid collection but it wouldn't it would be kept in your auntie's name because it's really important that we keep these collections under the named people so that we're telling their story that they were involved they would be indexed and a researcher would always find them but your wee auntie would have her own collection and her story would be important in its own right without it being engulfed engulfed with the movement. So we do have the, the Scottish anti-apartheid archive, but we have also ar- archives of activists that were in the Scottish anti-apartheid right, okay. movement that are named by their by their own personal name, because they may have done other things like being in the Communist Party, being in the Labour Party, being in the anti-apartheid movement, and by keeping them as individual collections, people can look at them and understand better how people got involved.
0: You mentioned you've been at GCU for 29 years, Carol. 29 the,
1: years this year, I'm sure. Um, sometimes I forget. I came in 92, so that's 2020. 20, yeah, because yeah, it'll be 30 years next year. Yeah.
0: So tell me about your background. What were you doing before you joined the university?
1: Uh, everything Craig. <laughs> the, my route into the university was that I went back and did a postgraduate librarianship. Okay. And I was employed for a 10-week contract to catalogue box solids handling collection that's at GCU and that developed into I've done all sorts of jobs and then we wrote the history and then in 1996 I became the permanent archivist and the first archivist at GCU but prior to that I've ran bars um, I've been a licensee um, I've just done all sorts of things and didn't really know my first degree is art history thought I was going to work going to go and work in a gallery that didn't work out um I came out of university in the Thatcher years there was no jobs for people so I've just done all sorts of varied jobs but I really got my teeth into it when I went to librarianship and then found archives and thought gosh this I mean I'm a slow developer I'm a late developer but I've certainly found what I want to do until I retire that's for sure.
0: have the archives changed since you've been at the university?
1: Oh, they've changed loads. Um, to start with, I mean, it was just me in a room up at Park Campus, which is the 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 old campus that we sold to Glasgow University. Slowly but surely. We started collecting special collections and archives. So special collections are usually published collections, but they're kept under people's names, and it's maybe their book collection. So we have pe- people like um, Pat Lally, who was the Lord Provost of Glasgow. We have some his book collection, that type of thing. We get huge book collections. Norman and Jenny Buckin, that was one of the early ones. So um, the special collections and archives then became research collections, and included political song. And of course, we then had Heatherbank Museum of Social Work. We still have these resources, but they're a collection rather than a walk-in museum. So archives were just a small strand of that. And then it it sort of took different guises and staff came and left. And it ended up at one point, it was just me, me and the archives and special collections. And that's where this phase of what it looks like started to grow. Robert Ruspin came in as director. He believed that we needed proper premises because we'd never had a proper reading room. So from 2016 and the archive centre opened, it's just been, I've always said I've got the best job in the university, (laughs) but it's just been amazing. And we have a great friend in Joe Watt and the foundation because they champion everything with us. They're just fantastic.
0: Yeah, Jill's team are great. Uh, Similar to yourselves, Carol, whenever you get involved with the foundation, you always think this is going to be good fun, this is going to be a good piece of work to work on. Now, you work with a small team at the Archive Centre at the university. Can you tell me about the team and and their various roles and what they do?
1: Yeah, Um, I have to say the team are
0: great. Uh, We just have such a close-knit
1: team and we all really believe in the, the archives and collections and that just makes us work really well together. So, um, Heather Paniataki is the assistant archivist. She's off on maternity leave at the moment. Yeah. And she was, she's the sort of newest member of staff, but and the first archivist, qualified archivist that I got to work with rather than just doing it myself. So, it was lovely to have another archivist come along. Having said that, Kirsty Mingus, who's our project archivist, has been with us for a few years. And I've had different project archivists over the years. So, I have had other archivists to work with, but not in the core related work. So Kirsty works on a social enterprise, the the, um, collections that I mentioned that the Scottish Government are funding. So she's funded and paid for and works um, on, we're developing an archiving toolkit for the social enterprise sector. And we do that in conjunction with um, Dr. Jo Murray and the UNIS Centre. David, and David Ward and Simon Doherty are our archive assistants, amazing, the two of them. David's our sort of front of house, we, he sort of <laughs> runs the reading room, makes sure everyone behaves themselves, but he also does social media, and he's, he's um, spoken to you recently because we're yeah. developing a podcast series, so yeah. that's really exciting. Simon, who has been here for 25 years and worked with me on and off, and if you could ever have a, a sort of... Um, work husband I suppose Simon will be it because we can't have hissy fits with each other that all the newer staff that have only been here for a few years think what's going on but we're just so used to each other Simon's got a real understanding for um, audio visual material and has been fantastic since the Oscar Mazzaroli stuff has arrived but he's also really interested in digitization and the environment that we keep the records in but both Simon and David can deal with any researchers that come through. I would like to say, to jump back to um, Heather Paniotaki, she came in with incredible knowledge for um, digital archiving and our policies before she went on maternity leave is just spot on and I can't wait till she comes back and we can take this forward a bit more.
0: You mentioned the podcast series you're looking to develop, and David and I had a very interesting conversation about it. And once it's off the ground and it's up and running, this sounds like it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Can you talk about your idea for this?
1: For the impact rankings, we get asked to look at how we're, how we're collecting intangible cultural heritage. And we do do bits and pieces, but I suddenly thought, whoa, we could do a podcast series here and we could speak to people as human treasures. Mm-hmm. Their stories are human treasures and they'll tell us about the customs and the skills and just the the intangible, the things that we can't see and hold in the archives, the gaps that are missing. So we'll interview people, we'll do the podcast around people that are associated with the subjects that we have within the archives. We're still at sort of early stages of pulling the plan all together and hopefully, I mean the example I've been using is because we have a lot of political archives there's all these marches and get-togethers. get, get togethers. And although we can read about um, who was there and, and what the cause was, will not it be great to record somebody giving us a wee bit of the songs that were sung? What badges did they wear? What pubs did they go and drink in? What, so, what, what is that sort of intangible story behind the the more written collection that we have?
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that, and I have no doubt it'll be a big success once it's up and running. Now, let's talk about some of the big projects you've worked on in recent years, and certainly one of the biggest was the donation of Oscar Marzaroli's archive collection. For anyone that doesn't know, Oscar Marzaroli was one of Glasgow's most celebrated photographers, and his image is used on the front cover of Deacon Blue's Rain Town. It's one of my all-time favourite albums, and his daughters donated around 50,000 images to the university. Tell me, how did all this come around?
1: Right, so it's it's 50,000 negatives.
0: Right, okay, um, wow. In the
1: region of 50,000, plus I've got these cameras and different things, it came around by uh, discussions. We all got together around the table and we met with some of the family. We then started discussions because they had looked at other places for the collection, but they started discussions and slowly but surely got to know them and they felt that GCU was the right fit for their dad. And actually GCU is a perfect fit for for their dad. He wanted his photographs to go back out into the community. Part of the Mazzaroli family, although they are under married names, have studied at GCU. Mary Claire, Nicola and Lisa, I will forever be grateful to them for their opening up their stories, their hearts, their doors to me and just letting us let this happen. So the whole thing when it was launched was to raise £200,000 because what we want to do is digitise the 50,000 negatives and make them available on a Creative Commons licence. But all of the the fundraising um, has been halted. But again, bless the foundation because Jill and the team keep on thinking of ways we can do it. So we're hoping hoping that now that this is the early part of 2021 to start... start fundraising again and, and see how we can get this project moved forward. But it's just incredible. Straight after it it was um we took in the collection, we helped Street Level put together an exhibition which was mm-hmm. so successful it ran and ran. And that's just a tiny exhibition. And it's just that idea people look at a photograph and we're asking why we keep archives. It just means something to mm-hmm. them. And the, the bits of paper in the archive are actually no different from a photograph. It's just that a photograph is more accessible. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if people sit down and read a bit of paper, it can mean the same thing to them. It's just that they don't think, oh, I'm going to go in and read that report or I'm going to go in and read that letter. Whereas a visual speaks to them straight straight away. And coming from a fine art background, I'll always champion visuals to get people through the door. And then I'll throw the nitty gritty at them. (laughs) And the other thing with, with Oscar is that we know that we've now brought Oscar into 21st century. So for the for the family, taking that whose dad passed away in nineteen eighty eight, taking these images and now seeing how the twenty first century are going to use them. The creators in the twenty first century, what they're going to do with Oscar stuff? Brilliant.
0: Yeah, it was. It was a brilliant day. The launch back in two thousand and nineteen was fantastic. Ricky Ross was there. A lot of uh, important people from the university were there, and it was just great to see. Particularly the moment when the, the drapes were taken off the photographs, and you could see the the photos that that could be bid for. That was uh, that was that was really good. That must have been a, a a good day to have seen all that hard work come together like that.
1: It was also good the day after when you got to rest but yeah Um, I was just really happy for the family you know when the girls walked onto campus and saw huge blown up photographs of their parents it was really emotional for them and I and you know I I just think it's incredible that you could just hand over your father's life's works to an institution and I know we can do it justice and I hope that they see we can do it justice.
0: One of the other donations was made by Sir Alex Ferguson. Of course he needs no introduction, he's one of the world's greatest football managers but he's also a GCU honorary graduate and he also loaned some of his prized possessions for an exhibition for when the Saltash Centre was renamed in his honour. you tell me about that?
1: We knew that the the library was going to be renamed the Sir Alex Ferguson Library and I was approached to see what could we do and I want you to do something different. And I said this in the, in the day that Sir Alex was here, often when you walk into a building that's named after someone, you read a plaque in the wall that gives the, the life story, the narrative, the bits that you need to, need to know. But I came up with this idea that we'd put together a display case that's really boxes with our lids off so they're actually archive boxes and in the display case we have something or a few things from each decade of his life. And what's incredibly important here is that that these are personal possessions Mm -hmm. of Sir Alex that he's trusted with us, The, the display's permanent. Um, we do have um, a cup that we've got from one of the museums that they've lent us, but the display is incredible in that it's a really personal thing. Yeah. So the idea is that instead of just reading, there's a bit of a narrative on the wall, but that's not what we wanted here. We wanted people to walk in and feel as though they knew, so they're like, oh my God, there's a there's his school certificate or there's (laughs) there there is his notes before a game so Mm -hmm. so people take away a piece of Sir Alex themselves they feel as though they spent some time with them and it's just that idea of making um somebody's story accessible in a different way
0: yeah again another highlight of working at the university was getting to see those items up close seeing his Coaching manuals as well, has some Scotland caps as well, uh, uh, the Football League managers uh, tro- trophy that he's got there. That 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 was brilliant.
1: I'm glad you're a football person, Craig, because <laughs> I forget what things are called because you move on and you forget um, what everything's called. So thank you for for giving the correct name to some of these items.
0: One final project that I'd like to pay particular attention to was a donation made by a GCU cultural fellow, Blythe Duff better known as the star of Taggart. She donated very, very interesting collection. There's all these items, all these items of memorabilia from Taggart. Talk to me about that. The biggest part of the
1: collection actually is her scripts. She's given us her mm. scripts, but that's another one. So these collections don't come to us quickly, apart from the Sir Alex Ferguson one, because it, was, it had a date attached to it. There's a lot of reassuring and, and making sure people are happy to give you their material. So Blythe spoke to me, oh, just, she was introduced to me we started speaking about archives and she said, well, oh, I think I'm an archivist. So she had me over to her house and my goodness, she wasn't half an archivist. <laughs> all this target memorabilia. She said that she believes that everybody just gave her everything because she was the woman and she would take care of all the sort of memorabilia. So she had that. She has all this, this material. So we spoke about, oh, are you ready to let it go? I'm not ready to let it go. In time, she was ready to let it go. And what she's, she's, we do have a video of her um, within the GCU YouTube saying that I made her realise that most of the collections come in when somebody's passed away. So it's incredible if we can get it when somebody's still alive. Mm-hmm. And Taggart is just such a huge cultural of part of, of Glasgow, Scotland, the world. So it came, she, she gave us the stuff when we launched the collection. And as I've said before, they are, we're open to everybody. So the day after, This man, elderly man from Shawlands knocks on the door and says, Hen, can I read one of the Taggart scripts? And he came every Friday to read the Taggart scripts. There's huge Taggart fans. We've had a super super fan family from Australia who came to see the material. But this story is the best. A man organised, an English couple, he organised a surprise 60th birthday present for his wife, who's Taggart mad and she came to see the collection. But fortunately that week, Blythe was in campus and Blythe oh, having you. the most beautiful soul in the world did a busty card for the woman. And she actually thought that we'd just kidded on and it wasn't Blythe, which Blythe wrote on this lovely busty card. But the, the whole thing with, with the Taggart scripts and the Taggart memorabilia is that there's another project in that because we have the material here and we have the script writing course here. So it's a really good fit, you know, but it, Other people use it, but the idea is that now it's here and it's been put in hold due to Blythe's work and now the pandemic, but we will pick this up again. We have spoken about it. We want to do something with Taggart that that takes it back to the people because people feel as though they are part of Taggart. So there is another project coming from, a a sort of big project coming from that. It seems to be that we're talking about the sort of famous collections, but you often can't help that in archives because that's the ones that that draw the media attention. But I'd just like to say that, you know, Mrs Smith's Bible that she was presented at school could just be as important as, as you know, some sort of radical famous feminist um, piece of literature we've got as well. You know, everything does tell a story, but the big stories um, are definitely very juicy. And the, the good thing about the big stories is people feel as though they're part of the big stories. So Oscar, Sir Alex and, and Blythe's papers do give people a sense of pride in Glasgow, Scotland and where they came from. So that nationality thing coming through.
0: Are there any projects on the horizon for you in the Archive Centre?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you say, working from home has been a bit difficult, but we, we've just carried on. and um, We've carried on in a different way. We You know, we're digitising for learning and teaching. We're digitising for PhD researchers. But the projects that we're looking to sort of, keep on going and, and and cement as we go further into 2021. We're collecting this GCU's COVID-19 story. And to be honest, we haven't got very much. We've got all this sort of official stuff, but it, when people look at um, the World War II diaries, I mean, they really come out when there's big anniversaries of the Second World War. And it's great when you can um, maybe have a look at just what a family did during the Second World War. So I'm hoping that as we, come a bit out of lockdown as we maybe start getting back on campus that people will say to me actually Cal, I did keep a diary I did do some drawings I did this sort of thing could we could put it into the archive because I also want it to be about the GCU family story and not just about the GCU corporate story so that's something that we'll continue to work on and, and probably have another big sort of advertising campaign around that the Oscar Mazzaroli fundraising We need to, well, we are picking that up again. In fact, I love that we are, the foundation has definitely led in that. So that's getting picked up again. And as soon as we've we've got enough of a pot, then we can actually start the project. We can actually buy the specialist scanners and start some of the the digitization, which will just be fabulous. Kirsty, who I spoke about earlier with the Scottish government money, we will be launching very soon something called SEAT, the Social Enterprise Archiving Toolkit, which is a grassroots basic toolkit that will let anybody learn a bit about how to take care of their own records. So it can be used by community groups. It's a real, I love it because it's a real common good free tool that we're putting out to the community. So that'll be getting launched pretty soon. I've mentioned that we want to do something with Tagger um, and Blythe. So that's a project that we'll be looking at. And the other thing is, you know, there's a, a silver lining in every cloud. And this whole making us work digitally during the pandemic has moved some of the things I've wanted to to do on very quickly. Now, I've waited years to build connections with some of the academics in the university and the departments. And I say to them, we do have stuff in the archives that you could use, but they usually have their stuff ready and they're not really going to mess around. But due to this period, they have come to us. So one of the other things that we're really working towards is relationship building and embedding primary source original material from GCU into the courses that student will come here and they can't get it anywhere else so it starts making the content in the course GCU unique fabulous.
0: That's absolutely brilliant Carol that was just as good as I was hoping for so thank you very much for taking the time out to talk to me absolutely love that thank you.
1: Thanks Craig I loved it see you later.
0: I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to today's show and I do hope you will join us again very soon when we will be talking with another member of staff from Glasgow Caledonian University. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you're listening to us from. Until then, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been The Common Good Podcast.